Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. I handed these out. These little, uh, this little sheet I handed you is, a, is kind of an outline of how we're going to do this. And every week, Lord willing, every week, and I say Lord willing because something might happen to my printer or something like that. But I'm going to try to print this out so you'll have an outline of the study. And this, we're going to go through eight of these. We're going to go through eight of these. Let me get this going. So we're going to do a we're going to do eight studies, eight lessons on this. It's going to take us about eight weeks to go through this study. It's going to be worth. I think it's going to be worth every minute we study it. it we could do it a lot more, and we, we need to be a lot more soul minded. This is going to be a Bible study on winning others to Christ, winning others. To Jesus Christ, to Christ. Now, what brought this about is I'm always looking for new ways to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. I personally am always trying to be a better ambassador for Christ. And I just preached on being an ambassador just a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I, really, I really am impressed in my heart to be a better ambassador. I, I should be a better soul winner and a better ambassador before I'm a better preacher. And I prayed for years, Lord, Lord, give, uh, help me be a better preacher. Help me be a better pastor. Give me the... The anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's a good thing. And I, I should be a better pastor. But first and foremost, I should be a soul winner. And it always convicts me when I, I talk to one of my brothers in Christ, pastor friends or whatever. And they're like, yeah, I just led so-and-so to the Lord. I just led so-and-so to the Lord. And I'm thinking, man, I had not led somebody to the Lord so long. I don't, and it just is a shame. So I was uh, digging around in Abilene, Texas, at the Goodwill in Abilene, Texas. And I found this book. It's from 1936. It was called Winning Others to Christ. It was a book put out by the Southern Baptist Convention back before they went south, before they all fell apart. This book was written in 1936, like I said. It was a book written for the uh, young study group for the, uh, let's see, I have it written down here. Yeah, this young study group for the men's young study group, Baptist Training Union. It was sort of the Baptist Training Union. So I decided a couple of weeks ago, I said, okay, Two or three weeks ago, I found this book, been reading it, and I decided in my heart, felt like the Lord's leading me. I said, I want to do a study of it, but I think the thing to do is the way this book is set up, every chapter is outlined really, really well. And I thought, man, I would love just to go through that outline with the church, and it would help us to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, give us some ideas. And it would be not just the same old ideas I'm giving you, it will be His ideas it, it, it's, I love reading the old-time Christians and what the old-time Christians were doing and how they were doing it. And so I'm very excited to bring this study to you. And uh, I feel like the Lord was leading me that way. And uh, I always feel that way or I wouldn't do it. But lo and behold, yesterday afternoon when I got off of work, I had an email waiting in the Indian Gap Baptist email. And I checked out this email. And this email is, had the subject title of... Uh, encouragement to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not going to give, because I'm up on Facebook right now, I'm not going to give this lady's name because I didn't ask her if I could do it. And she, she tells her background. She has a background as being a daughter of a preacher. But she goes on to talk about how, where she works and how she works. But this is what she wrote this email about. Now listen to this. Because when I read this email, I got goosebumps. Now for the reason of this email, about four to, week, four to five weeks ago, my friend, and she gives her name, came back from the weekend one Monday morning telling me about something amazing that had happened to her on Saturday at the Walmart in Brownwood, I believe. She said she was standing in the middle of an aisle, and out of nowhere, a very sweet young lady came up to her and said, this is for your heart. Do you have one of them tracks? 
You have one of them tracks with you? Could you get me one of those tracks? Could you run the back? She said, this young lady came up to her at the Walmart aisle and said, this is for your heart. And she hands her something. Her friend took what she gave her and looked down at it, scanning it. And when she looked back up again to say thank you, the young lady was gone. The young lady completely disappeared. She said at first she thought it might be some medical booklet having to do with actual heart information, which might be. Because she said, this is for your heart. She thought it might be a medical booklet about, heart inform- about your heart. When she got back to her car, she sat and read it and then really understood what the young lady actually meant. When she showed me what it was that Monday morning, a lot of memories started flooding back to me as a young girl. My mom and dad had those tracks, and this is the track that she got, was given. My mom and dad had those tracks all the time, only the Spanish version and some in English. They also distributed them at any chance they had. I even shared in distributing them. I am sure I read every one ever printed. I loved those things. Anyway, my friend only had seen them one time before. And listen to this. The one time she had seen it was when she first started working, where she worked, she was opening up a package. And when she opened up the package where she worked, one day as she was taking out the packaging from one of the boxes, a book and a track fell out. One exactly like the, young, the one the young lady gave her that Saturday at Walmart. It had a different story but the same message. That is the day that my friend found Jesus Christ and received him into her heart. Right there. Her testimony is an amazing one to hear. She was brought up Catholic, and you know how hard that religion can be to break from, free from. But the Holy Spirit did a work on her that day with a simple track. I promise I'm coming to the point of this whole message. I was so overwhelmed by the presence of our Father in our conversation. My friend and I have always had spiritual conversations here at work. And then she goes on to tell, Our Father God places us here at our jobs to be a light. We are here to impact the people we work with here, especially those who do not know Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. She says, We have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. We have been praying for the Lord to guide us to opportunity to spread the good news. Not only that, though, we have been praying for clear signs of the gospel being preached even outside of our own worlds, outside of our own little church where they live. They live in a small church, I mean a small community in this area. She said, we're looking for a sign from God. They got it. We've been praying for revival amongst the church. We've been praying for unity because the enemy is creating divisiveness among the church. This simple act of boldness from this young woman answered a lot of prayers for us. I quickly turned to the back of the track and saw that it came from Indian Gap Baptist Church and that you were the pastor. I felt very prompted to send an email and to tell you to keep doing what you're doing! Exclamation mark. Sometimes we think that the things we do for the Lord are not going recognized or maybe landing on deaf ears or hardened hearts. Many times when we are called to do something for the Lord, we do not get to see the full fruits of the labor. I just want to tell you that you and your congregation are, do, are doing passing out tracts are impacting people. Tell your congregation do not get discouraged and continue to be bold and spread the good news. And then she quotes Galatians 6, 9 and 10, don't grow weary in well-doing. The story does not end there. The track has since gone on. That same track that that girl was given at Walmart has since gone on to a friend of my daughter's, of my friend's daughter that has been ministering to and who is not a believer. 
This one girl's name, she saw the track that day in her mom's car and was curious to what it was. And my friend told her the story about the girl at the Walmart. Her daughter asked her mom if she could pass it on to her friend. And her mom said, of course you can. So I truly believe that track was not just for me and my friend to spur us on, but also for this young woman who doesn't know Christ. I just wanted to let you know that you have our prayers here from where I live, and I'm excited to have made a connection with my brothers and sisters at Ending Gap Baptist Church. Amen. Glory to God. Uh, I got goosebumps because she says at the beginning of this email, and I didn't read it to you, she says, I, would start, I, I want to start out by saying I, I, I should have sent this email about four weeks ago. And as soon as I am prompted, I usually do a very good job about doing what I feel I need to do. But for some reason, with this email, I just kept putting it off. <laughs> well, the reason the Lord had her putting it off because he had it timed when it would hit the Tuesday before I started this study. So I'd had this email right here. I would have read this. The, I would have read this five weeks ago. When she, I, I promise you, I'd have brought it up here and glory to God and. It would have cooled down, and then we would have started this Bible study five to six weeks later. The point is, is God's timing was perfect to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing by giving out these tracts. We, we cast these breads on the water. We don't know where the Lord's sending them. But this is a perfect example. This lady took the time to say, hey, this made an impact on our lives. It's making an impact on this girl's life. You're doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep doing what you're doing. So I, I'm encouraging you. This woman's encouraging you. And so it's perfect timing for us to talk about how do you win others to Jesus Christ. This book here is going to talk about that. And we're going to go through eight different chapters. Now we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. If you're trying to win somebody to Jesus Christ, you're trying to win a soul to Jesus Christ, you're very wise. If you're, you, know how, you know how to know you're foolish? When you don't care about somebody else's soul. That's the opposite of what that just said. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you, Father, for this lady, this sister in Christ, Lord God, that emails, emailed us, Lord God. I pray you bless her, bless her church, bless her friend, Lord God. And Father, I bless you. I pray you bless anybody in this church that's handing out tracts, Lord God, that they're doing it out of faith, Lord God, not seeing the fruit of it, Lord, not even seeing where the seed is even going, Lord God, sometimes, Father. And I pray you bless them. Lord, I pray you bless what we have done for you, Lord God, as we spread the seed out, spread the word out. Lord, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, and teach us tonight, Lord God, how to be better soul winners, Lord God, how to be a soul conscious, Lord, how to think on people as souls, Lord. Help us, Father, to remember this, Lord God, and help us to go out through this week to take what we learned tonight, Lord God, and apply it to our Christian walk. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's get started. So, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous. You're righteous in Jesus Christ. Your fruit is a tree of life. So remember, fruit, you're supposed to be, to be producing fruit, brothers and sisters. And the fruit, what does a fruit tree do when it produces fruit? It's the fruit is not a benefit to the fruit tree. Sometimes it's a it's it's a it's a hindrance. That fruit will be, get too heavy and break branches, and it's, it makes the tree heavy. But that fruit is to drop down and do what? Produce other fruit trees. So you are a tree of life, trying to give out another tree of life, trying to produce other trees of life. You're trying to produce other Christians. That's our whole job. 
So starting in this study, we're going to start at the very top, and we're going to go through each one of these little outlines. To win others, be sincerely soul-minded. And the whole point of this study tonight is to, and we're going to start it right here, and I'm going to try to finish it when we get done, is to remember, we need to look at other people as souls. Sometimes we look at them as, that's a person that's rich, that's a person that's poor, that's a person that's a certain color, that's a person that's a certain race, that's a person that's a certain height, that's a person that's a certain size. And the Lord doesn't look at them that way. The Lord looks at their heart, looks at their soul. And we need to look at people not as rich or poor or any other thing, but as souls. And the question you got to ask yourself, is this soul going to heaven or is this soul going to hell? Every soul you see is either going one or two places. Every soul I see out here this evening is going to one or two places. It's either, you're either going to heaven or going to hell. And we need to be soul-minded. To win others, you've got to be sincerely soul-minded. So to start this outline, we're going to start there at the top. We've got six points to go through tonight. And I'll try to run to, through them quickly, and we'll, we'll hit on them. Think of soul-winning as the task of every Christian. Excuse me. Think of soul-winning as the task of every Christian. Every Christian should be a soul winner. Everybody. Everybody's a tree of life, and you should be producing fruit so you can uh, have other trees of life being produced. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Everybody is a soul winner. Everybody should be a soul winner. It, not just the preachers. See, and that's where the fault in the churches lies and a lot of churches, and I, I try to hammer that home in here that, to remind y'all, hey, I'm not, it's just not the responsibility of the pastor or the minister to be the soul winner. Every Christian is a soul winner. And you need to think of soul winning as the task of every Christian. The, 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 the point number one under that, that uh, outline is primal passion of the Christian heart. Now, you can tell I didn't write that out because I would never use primal and passion in the same sentence. I don't even know what those words mean. But the point is, is, the passion of a Christian's heart should be soul winning. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Romans chapter 10, look what Paul says. Brethren, my heart's, his heart, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's heart was on soul winning. Paul's heart was that he wants people saved. That's how your heart needs to be. You've got to put your heart on this. You've got to be soul-minded. You've got to start thinking, Lord, I need to be a better soul winner. I need to be a Christian that thinks about soul winning, and I need to be responsible for soul winning. It's not just my pastor's job. Guys, when Christ called his disciples, when he called them, he called them, and he remember when he called them from the fish's nets, and he called them from the seashore, he didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to heal people. He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to walk on water. Follow me, and I'm going to show you how to do all kinds of crazy miracles. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That was what he told them. You follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And that's what we all are. We're all fishers of men. And I hope in this study we'll find out what bait to use, how to use it, how to, how to, how to bait the hook, how to, how to fish, where to fish. When to fish, when not to fish. There's, it, we're going to use these analogies of fishing because that's what Christ said. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. So the church's greatest failure, the second point is the church's greatest failure is a failure to win souls to Jesus Christ. Now that's a major problem in churches today. It's in our church. Is that we, we, it, 
Church is so wonderful, and, and I preach about it all the time. Man, go to church. Church is a great place to be. Go to church. But what happens is we get into church and we start closing the doors and we start thinking inside this box and we start thinking. It becomes like a social gathering because we love each other and there's a great camaraderie. There's a great love. There's a great, and the spirit moves and you can feel the unity in the church. But what the Lord's main commission for the church is, go out and be a witness. Go out and be a soul winner. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. Let's see what Christ had to say to his disciples. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Be a witness. So when a church, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So when a church forgets its main purpose. And its main commission and purpose is to go. Go ye into all the world. That's why we have so many missionaries we support. Because we can't get into all parts of the world to preach the gospel. To win souls, so we send these young men and sometimes old men and women out to preach the gospel. Well, we can't preach it, and that's why we, we support them by prayers, and we support them financially. And I'm not ashamed to admit it, we support them financially and with a big sum of money. I mean, as a whole. And I love it. I love being a missionary-minded church. But we got a mission field right here at Indian Gap. And wherever you're at, where I live, your job, your workplace, your community... Here's what Christ said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Christ, Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, we know that happened. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And ye, talking about everybody, shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and that happened, and in all Judea, the, the, you got Jerusalem, the city, Judea, the country, and in Samaria, another country, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Ending gap. Texas, Hamilton, Texas, Brownwood, Texas, wherever you're at tonight, that's the uttermost part of the earth. You should be a witness. So when a church loses that purpose, that commission, and starts turning into a social gathering, its main purpose is to win people to Jesus Christ. That church that doesn't do that is a failure. And we have to be careful that we don't become failures. Amen? That's what we need to be careful of. Everybody in this room has a responsibility to lead and try to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. What happens is, and I'm, I, this is where I get into a fault. I love the Word of God so much. I love to study it. And, I, and like Sunday school, we're doing a study on Millennial Kingdom. Man, I eat that stuff up. And we, I study it, and I study it, and I study it. And then what good is that to winning somebody to Jesus Christ? I need, if I'm doing all that and not winning somebody to Jesus Christ, as a Christian, I'm a failure. I might be able to quote every verse in the Bible on the Millennial Kingdom. But that doesn't mean a hill of beans to somebody. If they die and go to hell. Amen. It don't mean nothing. I'm just quoting what God said. I can say, here's what God had to say. Well, if I have somebody that's a brother or a, a, a family member or a neighbor or a friend at work and they're going to hell and I'm not telling them and trying to help witness to them, I'm a failure as a Christian. It's not, we're not producing fruit of studying and fruit of I can tell you what baptism means and fruit of we're trying to produce fruit of other souls getting saved. That's the whole commission of the church. Uh, I was reading this about, Dr. Dr. Ruttman had this. I'll read this to you. William T. Bruner openly confessed to me, confessed to Dr. Ruttman, when it came time to choose my major in postgraduate studies, that he had never led a soul to Christ. 
Bruner was a man that memorized all 5,000 vocabulary words of the Greek New Testament and could critique the monumental Greek grammar of Dr. A.T. Robertson. This man was an incredible genius. He could, quote all, he could read the Bible and quote to you all the Greek words behind the Bible, but had never led somebody to Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you tonight, there's men that would take that man and say, this is an incredible Christian. He's a Christian scholar. And they'd put him on a pedestal, and God would put him at the back of the line. He's a failure. And I'm a failure when I don't win somebody to Jesus Christ. Let's continue on this little study. You've got to think of the lostness of men. You've got to think on the lostness of men. Uh, it says there, uh, the, think of the lostness of men. Lost people everywhere. We know that. There's lost people at work, at home, at family, neighbors. We know there's, there's, no, there's no doubt you can find somebody who's lost. The second point of the thinking of the lostness of men is soul winners sorrow for the lost. Guys, you've got to look at people, and when, you, when it's obvious, and you know what I'm talking about, when it's obvious that somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, maybe they've told you straight out, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe, I hate God, whatever they might tell you, and they confess it and are honest enough, you've got to have a sorrow. That should sorrow your heart. Because what does that mean? That person's going to burn in hell forever. And tortured forever. I was driving to work yesterday, uh, a couple of mornings ago. I'm driving, no, yesterday morning. I'm driving to work. It's pitch black. I pull into the turning lane to go into where I work. And there's a woman walking right out in the middle of the turning lane. And I'm doing 55 miles an hour. And I see her walking right in front of me. And I slam on my brakes. Woo, and I pull over to the side, out into the, the wrong track, wrong lane traffic. And I roll my window. And I said, hey, man, you're going to get ran over. Get out of the road. You need to get on the side of the road. I heard she did that to somebody else the morning before. Well, she comes over to my truck, and she's like, can, can you get me a ride? I live right I said, yeah, okay, go, go ahead, get on in. Well, she gets in. She's smoking one of these little sweet cigars. I didn't know it. She gets in my truck, and y'all know how I am about my truck. I mean, she's in there smoking that cigar in my truck. She starts cussing like a sailor. Where do you want me to take you? Over there, these blankety-blank cops in town. She said, these blankety-blank cops... They're all a bunch of blankety-blanks. She goes, she goes, when a person just wants to drink a little bit of whiskey and want to go down to the store, they won't leave them alone. <laughs> That's what she told me. <laughs> a person, they just want to drink a little whiskey and go down to the store. These cops around here won't leave them alone. I said, oh, okay. So we get over there, and I take her where she wants to go. And I'm trying to explain to her, get out of the road, get out of the road. So I hand her one, this exact top track. I hand her to her, I said, hey, you need to read this, I'll tell you about Jesus Christ. She goes, well, you can come pick me up at church. I live over for church. She goes, I live right over here on this street over here. It starts with a D. Well, the, here's the point. She gets out of the truck. There's no street over there. It starts with a D. I know the whole area. I work for the city. So I get back to work. Everybody at work had seen what was going on. I get back in. I get back in the parking lot, and they're all laughing at me, making fun of me and everything because I took that lady over there. And then they say, one of my friends there at work says, she was nothing but a crackhead. Probably. You know, when it struck me later that day, because I got to thinking about that girl, because she was drunk and probably was on drugs, and luckily she didn't get killed. I could have killed her. You know, there was a time that that young, that woman was a little girl, and she was probably, the, her daddy loved her, and she was sweet, and she had a grandmother, and she might have a sister, and she probably might even be a mother today. And I started just dwelling on that, and dwelling on that, and it broke my heart. 
That's what sin does. And we, we make fun of sin and we mock it. And we're all, oh, she's nothing but a crackhead. Yeah, but God loves her. <laughs> she has a mother and a daughter and a sister and, a, and maybe a daddy. and They love her just like she is. They love her and they want her straightened out. And there's, all, there's no hope for her but Jesus Christ. And if you say, well, she, that's why she's in the condition she is, she's in. Because her daddy didn't love her. Her mom didn't love her. And you might be right. But I know for a fact the Lord Jesus Christ loves her. And she needs to know that. She needs to know that. We need to think on that. We need to think on the lostness, the lostness of men. Jesus revealed God's sorrow for the lost. Look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. God revealed, Jesus Christ revealed God's heart about this. See, uh, we might have an attitude about sinners, and we do, I do. I know if I do, y'all probably do. You get this attitude about sinners, you know, you get tired of them and run your mouth about them. If you're like me, I, I'm always running my mouth, you know, just a, just a crackhead, but God loves them. Look, look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. This, Jesus revealed God's sorrow for the lost. Then drew near unto him all, drew near unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. These were sinners and they wanted to hear what Jesus Christ had to say. And the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders and scribes, that would be like that guy that knew all the Greek uh, words, scribes murmured saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. That's what they accused Jesus Christ of, hanging out with the sinners. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto them saying, What man of you? Having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Hey, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And then you know the stories that he tells from verse 8 all the way up to verse 32. It's just the story of the prodigal son. Guys, what Jesus Christ shows you in Luke chapter 15 that God has a heart for sinners. Wretched sinners. Sinners at the bottom of the barrel. That's who Jesus Christ is searching for. And we need to, we need to keep that in mind. You need to think on, moving on to point, point 3. Think on the sinfulness of sin. Think of the sinfulness of sin. Sin degrades life. Sin degrades life. How does sin degrade life? Well, that sweet little girl I was telling you about, that, the sweet little girl, think about this. You see, and y'all, y'all, we have little kids in our church, and we have, uh, y'all see little kids all the time. Think about when you, next time you see some little girl, and think about, what if one day she was grow up to be a hooker? And then think about the hookers, if you've ever been down in Dallas, think about the hookers you've seen and how that one time they were a sweet little girl, had a big smile on their face. Nobody in their family says, man, I hope one day uh, so-and-so grows up to be a hooker. Think about the young man, the little bitty boy with a big smile and energetic and grown up to be an alcoholic or a wretched drunk. That wretched drunk, that sinner you see it one day was an innocent little boy, was an innocent little girl. That's what sin does. Sin corrupts the character. Sin, uh, sin never dies. An unsaved soul 
an unsaved soul that votes for an evil law, that writes an obscene book, that teaches an untrue lesson. That, uh, that, that wicked uncle, that wicked aunt that teaches their kids, that wicked mother that teaches their kids to be evil, to do evil things, to think of evil ways, that wicked mother, that wicked uncle, that wicked aunt, they might die in their sin, but that wickedness that they taught, that wickedness that they had, they had put forth, it lives on for generations. That's what sin does. Sin do, and I, I preached on this just recently. Sin doesn't just affect the person that, it, that sin is in. Sin affects everybody around them. Just ask, ask anybody who's dealing with an alcoholic relative, and they'll tell you, this, they'll tell you yeah, it does. We need to think, look, at, look at point four. Think of the value of a saved life. So the other side of that coin is to think of the value of a saved life. So when you're, you're being soul-minded, you're saying, man, look at what that sin could do. Look what that sin's doing to that person. I want to help that person out. Of course, that's by winning them to Jesus Christ. But think about the other side of that coin is, if that person does get saved, what will they do for Jesus Christ? How will their life be turned from sinfulness to righteousness. Think about all the good that that person could do. There was a story of a policeman. It says there on point one, it says there that uh, a soul versus a soul plus a lie. And what he means by that is simply this. A policeman and a policeman that was in his 30s or 40s got saved on the same time a 10-year-old boy got saved. Same night. So you had this 40-year-old policeman that they had been praying for. He got saved. He came down. They were all glorifying the Lord. But this 10-year-old boy came down, kind of like, kind of got lost in the shuffle. He got saved. You know, it's a 10-year-old boy. You know, you're like, he don't have much sin on him. Well, that young, that police officer, he died not long after that. Well, praise the Lord, he went on to heaven. But that 10-year-old boy, he grew up to be a preacher. And he grew up to live a clean life. And he was winning hundreds to Jesus Christ, doing a great work for the Lord. Guys, sometimes we lead somebody to Christ and we never see what's coming next. I promise you, and y'all, see, y'all know me as Brother Keegan. And y'all know me as a preacher and a teacher and how I love the Lord. You didn't know me when I was 17 years old. And if you'd known me at 17 years old, you would have looked at me and said, and somebody would have said, that kid right there, he's going to be a preacher someday. And you'd have been laughing, laughing. You thought that's the funniest thing. But see, God knows how to work. And whenever somebody led me to the Lord... He did y'all a favor. He did my wife a favor. He did my son a favor. What do you mean? I'm a better man because I'm a Christian. And it's because somebody had the guts to tell me about Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're talking about tonight. You can really make an impact on people's lives. It says there, the second point about this is that, uh, saving lives, the highest calling. So the highest thing you can do is to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. You can affect generations. My aunt got saved at Milton Baptist Church. My uncle wanted to marry her, and she, he was a drinker and a, and a smoker. And she says, I'm not going out with you, while you when you're a drinker and a smoker. He quit drinking. He quit smoking. They got married. He got saved. He's 92 years old today. You think he would have lived to be 92 if he kept drinking and smoking? I don't think he would have. But he's 92 years old today. He's a fine Christian man, still goes, at 92, goes and washes the dishes at his local church. At 92, cleans up, washes all the dishes, and he's dealing with some cancer. Somebody led my aunt to the Lord. She led him to the Lord. My mom was part of that. Here I am today. It, guys, it goes on. Somebody led Brother Packer. The one that led me to the Lord, Brother Packer, somebody led him to the Lord. 
You see where I'm going with this? It's our responsibility. It's our highest calling to pass it on. And man, once you get it passed, it's amazing to watch somebody grow in the Lord. When I was doing Brother Jerry's funeral and I was talking about him getting saved and me being around him when he got saved and how he changed and his Bible was full of all these notes and, and, and he was marking it up and everything. His friend came down that grew up with him. Uh, his friend came down from Ohio, grew up with him. And his friend was a Christian. I didn't know that time. But after funeral service, his friend came up to me. His friend Jay came up to me and he said, Man, I knew Jerry got saved and he told me over the phone that he had become a Christian, but I didn't realize how big a change it made in his life. But he, he became a changed person. He, you, know what that, you know what his friend told me? Glory to God. Yeah. You know what I thought? See this little, I, I can't make it small enough, but I had like the point, 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 zero, 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 or point, zero, 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 one percent part of that. Because I was there when he got led to the Lord, when he prayed and asked Jesus Christ. I was there. God, you know what that makes you feel? It makes you feel like, hey, this is worth it. All, the, all, the, all this is worth it. We're moving on to point five. Moving on to point five. Think of the early Christian soul winners. Think of early Christian soul winners. Of course, that's, that's easy to do. Your Bible's full of them. John the Baptist, Andrew, Peter, uh, Stephen, and Philip, Paul. But see, I like to think on Dwight O. Moody. I like to think on Billy Graham. I like to think on Billy Sunday. I like to think on Dr. Ruckman. I like to think on these men that have gone on before me that I can look up to and say, that was a great soul winner for Jesus Christ. And if you're a lady in here, you can think of, of Fanny Crosby. There's thousands of women that have done great work for the Lord Jesus Christ that never got to step behind a pulpit. One of the greatest inspirations I've ever seen for a woman to inspire me was Corey Ten Boom. You know, they're stuck in a concentration camp. She got out. Her sister, her sister was the great Christian. Her sister's the one that encouraged her. Her sister was the one that said, because she went to her sister in concentration camps and she said, I hate these lies. They're everywhere. I hate them. And her sister said, I praise God and thank God for the lies. And she told her sister, You're crazy. And her sister said, I thank God for the lies because it keeps the Nazis away from me. They don't want to have anything to do with me because I'm full of lies. So I praise God and thank her. Her sister died, the great Christian. She died. And Corey Ten Boom was walking up there, and by just sheer luck, by God's hand, she was let go. And she wasn't supposed to be let go, so Corey Ten Boom was able to walk out of the concentration camp and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To a lost and dying world. What an amazing, if you don't know more about, you want to know more about Corey Tim Boom, there's a great movie put out by Billy Graham's uh, movies called The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place. Watch that movie. It'll inspire you. So point six, we're closing up. Point six. Think of the soul-mindedness of Jesus. Very important. Turn to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine. This always, always has made a big impression on me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Uh, he has on the point, souls, souls, souls. Jesus Christ said, I came, to seek those that are, I came to save those that are lost. To seek and save those that are lost. Jesus Christ's mission was to save souls. Souls, souls, souls. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. These verses here have made a great impression on me. And this is talking about the Lord. It says, when he saw the multitudes, 
He was moved with compassion. This goes back to what this whole study is about. When you see a person, you need to have compassion on that soul. And stop looking at them as a drunk. Or stop looking at them as your enemy. Or start looking at them as a co-worker or neighbor. You need to say, that might be my neighbor, but they're a soul. Where are they going? That might be my enemy, but they're a soul. Where are they going? This might just be somebody I ran into at the Walmart, but is this a divine appointment? You know, that young girl came up and gave that lady a track and said, this is for your heart. That's a good one. That's good to say. Because if you open up this track, the very first thing it shows is this guy dying of a heart attack. <laughs> and then at the end, he gets saved, and at the end, he's dying of a heart attack. But in, in here, he dies of a heart attack, and he goes to heaven. At the beginning, he dies of a heart attack, and he winds up down in hell. I mean, at the judgment. So the point is, is that this is a good one for your heart. Shows you what to do about your heart. But I, was, I emailed back the girl about her being given that track by a young lady, and I told her, email, I said, I have no idea who that was. It wasn't my wife. We can't find out. Nobody from the church was there that day handing out tracks. The only thing we can think of is, one, this is one of two things I've come up with. Number one, my wife leaves these tracks at Walmart all over the place, hands them to people. That somebody was given one, they were already a Christian, or maybe it's a little girl, and she found it, and she just said, hey, this is for your heart. You know, just uh, her mom or something told her, hey, that tells you how to, you need to receive Jesus in your heart, and she said, hey, this is for your heart. And that's a good line to give. I told the girl in the email that, and I told the girl this, or... It was an angel sent by God. Because in the email she said, she looked down, she looked up, and the little girl was gone. I got goosebumps. I'm like, yeah, the Lord's moving. The Lord's working. But see, you got to give the Lord something to work with. Amen? You got to give him something to work with. Jesus Christ, we're closing up his varied context, his varied methods. He had different methods. He had different contacts. Uh, his first apostles were one while they were fishing. Matthew was one while sitting at the place of a toll booth. A lawyer was one while on a highway. One sinful, wo one sinful woman was one while at a public watering place. Another one was one during a meal at Simon's house. Zacchaeus was one by sitting up in a tree. The thief was one, one while he was hanging on the cross, dying on a cross. Jesus made contacts with Jews, Greeks, Romans, rulers, publicans, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, lepers, beggars, wise men, soldiers, thieves, harlots, and little children. And all these contacts, he looked at all of them as souls going to heaven or going to hell. Look at Proverbs 24, and we're closing, I promise. Proverbs 24. So, in closing, everyone you meet tomorrow, Proverbs 24, verse 11, everyone you meet tomorrow is a soul going to heaven or hell. And if you can have that soul-mindedness, when you run into somebody at work, at the grocery store, your family member, maybe you're talking to them on the phone, every soul that you encounter tomorrow, or even tonight, is a soul going to one or two places. And you can be soul-minded that way, where you can say, that soul is going to heaven, or I know that soul's going to hell. Or if you don't know, find out if that soul's going to heaven or hell. Yeah. And that's what this study's about to do. This study's going to teach us how to lead somebody that way. Look at verse 11. 
Here's a warning and an encouragement to you. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, say so you don't warn them. There's somebody about to die. Somebody's about to fall down. Somebody's about to go into a trap. Somebody's about to go down into hell, and you don't warn them. Verse 12, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? That's a stern warning. But it's a good warning to keep us on our toes, amen, that, hey, we know the truth. If you believe this book, you know the truth, amen. The reason why we get so excited at this church when we hear Jesus Christ being preached and we sing songs, one of the reasons why we sing so loud is because we know, I believe we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going to heaven and we're convinced of it. Praise God, I know I am. I'm speaking for myself. But if I'm so sure that I'm going to heaven, then that should make me so sure that those people are going to hell. So what should any man do that knows that and believes that? Well, he should do the right thing is to warn them. And be so conscious say, hey, I need to get on the ball. Now, the rest of this study, the next seven weeks, is going to show us how to do that, how to overcome fear, what tools you use, what methods, and that's what we're going to start out. So next Wednesday, if you can make it up here, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to focus on that. And we're going, we're going, to, be in, it's going to be an encouragement to you. And I pray to the Lord that if you get an opportunity that you won't be shy, just, just step out for the Lord. Let Him work. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for these people that love you, Lord, to come out here tonight. Lord God, a lot of them have worked all day, are kind of tired, Lord God, and I pray, Father, that you bless them, write them in your book of remembrance, Lord. Give us a, give us a heart, Father, for other people's souls, Lord God. And Father, let us look, look at them not as uh, friends or neighbors or co-workers, Lord God, but people that you love and that you want to see saved, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord God, you give us the, the divine appointments, give us the opportunities, Lord God, and maybe hand them a track or... Just invite them to church, whatever it might be, Lord God. I pray, Lord, you'd, you'd lead us and guide us, Lord. And give us some wisdom on how to handle these situations, Lord God. We don't want to be a, a mess up and, Lord, mess things up, Father. We just want to do it in your time. And, Lord, but we, want, we do know we need to be working, Lord God. Help us to work. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll stop there, guys, for tonight.